Tonight on Throwback Thursday, as Tune FM celebrates 50 years, 1981. We continue to look at more events throughout history and look at the year 1981, including the discovery of the HIV AIDS virus, the discovery of another Mozart symphony, and the end of the Iran hostage crisis. Some 60 Americans, including our fellow citizen whom you just saw bound and blindfolded, are now beginning their sixth day of captivity inside the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. This is 50 Years of Tune FM, 1981. And it's great to be here with you on 106.9 at Tune FM to have a bit of a more in-depth look at some of the major events that took place in the year 1981 as we continue to work our way through Tune's history. I'd like to extend my thanks, first of all, to the uh, people who offered to join and unfortunately were unable to do so. Um, this may become a bit more of a frequent occurrence as uh, trimester has now begun. And of course, that does mean that many of our lecturers and, and professionals who uh, know what they're talking about about, uh, unfortunately unavailable to join us. But um, that's quite all right. We'll just uh, decide to, instead of looking at one thing, we're going to look at several different things today, uh, which includes the unfortunate uh the, uh, event that took place throughout most of the latter half of the 20th century, the HIV AIDS virus. It was discovered in May of 1981 or was first reported in May of 1981. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, in some much better news, uh, Mozart's Symphony K81, the symphony in D major number 44, which may have been written around 1770, but was not discovered until 1981. And we're going to be talking about the Iran hostage crisis, which actually began in November of 1979 uh, and was a diplomatic standoff between the US and Iran involving hostages being taken at the American embassy in Tehran. And that culminated and only came to a finish after 444 days on the 20th of January, 1981. And it's a fascinating story behind that as well, which inspired a wonderful movie, which I will recommend just before we get started. Uh, Argo, directed by Ben Affleck, is a fantastic film, and it does uh, look at the hostage crisis in a bit of detail. But we're going to have a look, first of all, at the uh, the less... Um, happy of the the three stories and we're going to talk about the hiv aids virus which once again uh thank you to the lecturers who did uh consider joining us to give us some more insight about the virus uh on the show unfortunately none of them were available i'm sure they are all very busy getting their various uh different uh medicine and, and nursing and and all of those sorts of areas getting their courses going particularly as we adjust to doing um everything online due to our, our own virus that's going on at the moment. But uh, HIV AIDS was first reported on the 18th of May 1981 in the gay newspaper New York Native. It was first clinically reported in June with five cases in the United States. The initial cases were a cluster of injecting drug users and also some homosexual men who had no known cause of impaired immunity and showed symptoms of a rare opportunistic type of pneumonia, which was known only to occur in people with very compromised immune systems. 
Soon thereafter, a very unexpected number, particularly of homosexual men, uh, developed a previously rare skin cancer called Kaposi's sarcoma, and that it all kicked off from there. As people will know if they were around toward the end of the 20th century, it became uh, a very long-running and very uh, large-scale pandemic that caused a lot of paranoia around the world, particularly since for quite a long time people didn't know how uh, one contracted HIV or AIDS. Um, so it was rather uh, a, a bit of a bit of paranoia going around. People didn't know um, what they needed to do uh, when they did eventually work out how it was transmitted, which is, as we know now, is of course by transmission of bodily fluids. Um, even then, people didn't know how do I stop myself from transmitting bodily fluids? Can I transmit it through saliva? Can I transmit it through anything else? It was it culminated in years and years and years of absolutely um, paranoid um, and and terrified uh, people around the world. But uh, in those in those early days, they didn't have an official name for the, the this disease. They just referred to it as just this this random seemingly um, compromisation of um, immune of immunity, particularly in it seemed to be in drug users and homosexual males at the time. Uh, a task force was set up later in 1981, uh, coining the phrase the 4H disease uh, because it, and this is a, a little bit of a, uh, I, I'm going to apologize for the the context of this, but the reason it was called the 4H disease was that the four main groups that seemed to be affected uh, were heroin users, homosexuals, hemophiliacs, and Haitians. Um, yeah, a very some very racist and very offensive undertones behind that, but that was all they knew at this stage in 1981. And as we know about uh, the HIV AIDS virus today, and we know a little bit more about how um, how destructive it can be. Obviously, you can understand the paranoia. You can understand uh, exactly how terrified everybody was of this because that's all they knew. They didn't know if that had anything to do with it. They just knew that that's those were the people who seemed to be affected. Um, it eventually was uh, they they determined that AIDS was not in fact isolated to any of these groups. That there were particular reasons why those groups were uh, seemingly contracting it more than anybody else, but it is not, of course, isolated to uh, any of those groups in particular. And so the term AIDS was introduced at a meeting in July of 1982 by that task force, uh, which, of course, stands for Autoimmune Deficiency Syndrome. It's uh, it's Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome, I must apologize. Um, so it's it's it, looking at the the disease itself, uh, just for those who may not uh, know about it. Uh, it's it spawns from a virus infection called HIV, human immunodeficiency virus. Um, it's it's a spectrum of conditions that are caused by that infection with the virus. Um, you, it early on does not have many symptoms, but there is a brief period of influenza-like illness. And basically, it interferes with the immune system, increasing the risk of developing common infections. Uh, one that is quite frequent is tuberculosis, as well as other opportunistic infections and also some kinds of tumors, which are otherwise rare in people who do have normal immune function. 
Uh, it is spread by the uh, the transmission of bodily fluids, particularly in, of course, sexual intercourse and uh, contaminated blood transfusions or needles. Um, it can also be transmitted from mother to child during pregnancy or breastfeeding. Um, bodily fluids such as saliva, sweat, and tears don't transmit the virus. And that was a big cause of that early paranoia that I talked about uh, was the question of whether that was the case. Because if it is the transmission of bodily fluids, obviously uh, saliva, sweat, and tears, they're things that are very easy to transmit. Um, but uh, we do now know that that does not um of course, that, that that does not, of course, uh, happen. Um, so just quickly before we move on to another topic of conversation, I'd just like to use this opportunity to remind people of methods of prevention. Of course, HIV AIDS, nowhere near the uh, pandemic that it was at the time uh, in the year that we're talking about, 1981, that when it kicked off. Uh, but it is still about. People still do get it. And of course, there are plenty of other infectious diseases that you can get in similar methods as well. So methods of prevention do include, of course, having safe sex, uh, making sure that you don't exchange needles. If you do uh, inject anything into your body, you don't share needles. Um, there is treatment available for those who are infected nowadays, although there still remains to be no uh, actual cure. Um, and of course, there is antiretroviral medication as well. But remember, the two most important things when it comes to HIV AIDS safe sex and not sharing needles. You are listening to 106.9 Tune FM. We're going to get onto a much uh, happier event that happened in 1981 soon, but that one, of course, a very big event that, uh, that took place that shaped history throughout the rest of the 20th century at the time. So um, an unfortunate, uh, an unfortunate event, an unfortunate uh, thing that took place, but uh, a very important one to reflect on and remember, and we're going to move on to something a little bit lighter in tone now. Coming up next, we are going to be talking about the discovery of a lost Mozart symphony. But before that, we're going to get into the music. You are listening to Throwback Thursday. I'll see you soon. You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1981. Elsewhere in 81, in April, NASA launched the very first Space Shuttle mission. The Space Shuttle Columbia successfully carried two astronauts, Robert Crippen and John Young, into space to complete the inaugural flight of the Space Shuttle program. The purpose of the mission was to test the stability of the new spacecraft and to safely launch the vehicle into space and return it to Earth so that the craft was reusable. The total length of the mission was 2 days, 6 hours, 20 minutes and 53 seconds. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. Coming up next, we have Who Can It Be Now by Men at Work.
take me away? Why do they follow me? It's not the future that I can see. It's just my fantasy. You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1981, the HIV AIDS virus, Symphony K81 and the Iran hostage crisis. You are listening to Throwback Thursday indeed, and it's great to be back with you this evening here on 106.9 Tune FM. The show is going to take a bit of a brighter turn now, I promise, after we talked about, uh, unfortunately, one of the less uh, less less fun, I suppose, uh, historical events in the uh, 1980s, but we are going to be looking at Mozart now. You might be asking, uh, we're looking at the 1980s, not the 1770s. Um, Mozart, what what are we talking about? Well, a missing symphony was found in Bavaria in 1981, and it had its premiere performance in May of 1981, 216 years after it was composed. Most interestingly, it was actually composed by Mozart when he was just nine years old, which is absolutely incredible. When I was nine years old, I don't think I even, I probably couldn't even spell my name, but uh, here we have Mozart uh, writing a symphony. Uh, For two centuries, it was known to exist only as a bit of a fragment that was written on the back of the title page of another composition, but it wasn't the full song, so no one uh, knew if he ever finished it or uh, knew what it was or if it would ever be found. It was written in London in 1765. Uh, He was regaling the royal court at the time, uh, already showing off his skills around uh, England, uh, and suddenly it has appeared in West Germany. Uh, it was <laughs> it was sold to the Bavarian State Library in West Germany for an undisclosed sum, apparently. There was no information about uh, who actually bought it, um, but it is a symphony in F major featuring two oboes, two horns, strings, and a harpsichord, uh, and it has three different movements, which is... These are, these are musical terms. I've been in, you know, stage musicals and I, I did music as a as subject at school. So I know kind of enough about music to, you know, get by. But, and I'm not going to claim to be an expert at all, but these are musical terms that I still don't, I'm not familiar with. There are musical terms I'm not familiar with here. And he wrote a new piece. He created a new piece employing all of those terms at nine 
I'm blown away by Mozart. He truly is a, a child prodigy. It uh, is, it's, it's absolutely incredible to think as well that this symphony went entirely undiscovered uh, for 200 years. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, there's lots of, there's not very much actually information about um, the discovery, only that it was uncovered in West Germany and then someone snapped it up and bought it and eventually put it on just months later. Uh, we don't actually know uh, much about it at all. Uh, it eventually, in July, would make its way to America as well. Apparently, it was very, very popular immediately, uh, premiering worldwide in May. And by by early July, it had its U.S. premiere in the Kennedy Center in uh, Washington. It is uh, listed as K-19A in F major is the, the name of the symphony. Um, it's an interesting one uh, that there's actually not, I, I'm, I have it in front of me now trying to Google uh, a little bit about this symphony and there's, there's very little at all. Um, the, it, it was now here's, here's where the controversy comes into this. And this is why I decided that this would be a, a good topic to talk about, despite the fact that there's not actually a lot of information about the symphony itself. There's a little bit of controversy about its authenticity the symphony was lost, but the copy that they eventually found was actually written in the handwriting of Leopold Mozart, who is who was uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's father and tutor. The title page said that it was composed by Wolfgang when he was nine, nine years old, sorry. But since then, uh, Leopold had often advertised his son as being younger than his actual age, so the date is questionable. And it also tried to uh, show him off a little bit. So it's actually even questionable about whether Mozart wrote it at all. Um, but it is, it's very interesting, this mysterious symphony that we have and we just don't know very much about it at all. And it immediately took off. If, if that doesn't show you the popularity of Mozart, I, I don't know what will because it, uh, it, it premiered pretty much immediately after being discovered uh, 216 years after he wrote it, mind you, uh, only then to two months later premiere in another continent is his absolutely incredible Justin Bieber, Eat Your Heart Out. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM's Throwback Thursday. That was just a quick little middle segment there talking about uh, the long-lost Mozart symphony discovered in 1981. Up next, we're going to be talking about a bit more of a substantial topic uh, and one that actually stretched right back to 1979 as well. We're going to be talking about the Iran hostage crisis, and uh, that is coming up right after this quick music break. You're listening to Throwback Thursday, 1981. Elsewhere in 81, the royal wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer took place during July. The wedding, held at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, attracted crowds of more than 600,000 people to witness the historic event. 3,500 guests, many of them royalty or celebrities, attended the ceremony and an estimated 750 million people worldwide watched it on television. The royal wedding drew the public's interest in such an extreme way, partially due to Lady Diana Spencer's attractiveness and charm, as well as the perception that Diana and Charles's relationship was some sort of modern fairy tale. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. Coming up next, we have another one, Bites the Dust by Queen.
You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1981, the HIV AIDS virus, Mozart's Lost Symphony, and the Iran hostage crisis. You are indeed listening to Throwback Thursday, and it's great to have you back for the final third of this show tonight. Uh, my name's Jake. I am your host, uh, and unfortunately, we don't have any guests as they're all busy uh, getting everything under control, I'm sure, in the early weeks of this rather different trimester two at the moment. But that's quite all right. We'll continue to explore 1981 anyway. We're going to be looking at, at an event that has fascinated me uh from the moment that I learned about it and uh, certainly is a very tumultuous but interesting uh, period of tensions between the United States of America and Iran. Um, It's the Iran hostage crisis, which actually got underway on the 4th of November, 1979. And we're going to talk about 
it uh, shortly. If you are interested, as interested in the Iran hostage crisis as I am, I highly recommend that you watch the movie Argo. I'm just going to give a quick plug to that movie because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's directed and starred in by Ben Affleck, and it's absolutely astounding. Um, but the Iran hostage crisis, the real event, not the movie, uh, involved 52 American diplomats and citizens being held hostage in the American embassy in Tehran for 444 days. It culminated, the reason we're talking about it on this show is that it came to an end on the 20th of January, 1981. A group of Iranian college students actually belonging to the Muslim student followers of the Imam's line who supported the Iranian revolution that had recently happened uh, took over the U.S. embassy. Uh, It was a bit of uh, vengeance uh, going on. There was a lot of mutual tension between the two countries. And essentially it came uh, from American President Jimmy Carter had uh, provided some sort of refuge to the uh, former Uh, Shah of Iran, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, who was overthrown in the Iranian revolution in 1979. And essentially, uh, the Iranian citizens or these this particular group of Iranian citizens at the time wanted him to be executed. He was admitted into the US for refuge and for cancer treatment. But Iran demanded his return in order to stand trial for crimes that he was accused of committing during his reign. Specifically, he was accused of committing crimes against the Iranian citizens with the help of his secret police. Um, Whatever your opinion is on that, uh, the Iranian general opinion seemed to be that he should come back and stand trial and certainly uh, indeed be executed. Iran's demands were rejected by the United States of America and Iran saw the decision to grant him asylum as American complicity in his atrocities. Um, So, Eventually, they, in a culmination of these tensions in November of 1979, Iranian students crowded the U.S. embassy and took hostages, which the Americans saw as a violation of international law, including the Vienna Convention, um, which granted diplomats immunity from arrest and also made uh, their compounds inviolable and not actually technically Iranian territory. It is considered an invasion of American territory for them to do that. The Shah eventually left the United States in December of 1979 in an attempt to uh, settle down the the tensions between the countries and was granted asylum in Egypt instead. He would eventually die of complications from his cancer at the age of 60 in July of 1980. But the, the hostage crisis continued until January of 1981. Six American diplomats who evaded capture, uh, which is what the movie Argo is about, uh, rescued by were rescued by a joint CIA-Canadian effort on the 27th of January 1980. Um, the reason that they were there for seven days longer than uh, the rest of the hostages, um, because they had evaded capture, uh, they were essentially fugitives in Iran. They were sheltered by the, um, the Canadian embassy for quite some time, and then there was an absolute absolutely incredible story of how they managed to get them out of Iran uh, while evading arrest. It was absolutely incredible. Um, It's an incredible story. And there's an an adaptation, which is mostly true, um, slightly dramatized, of course, in, of course, that film Argo, uh, directed by Ben Affleck, which won the Academy Award for Best Picture in, I believe, 2012. So um, essentially, the crisis itself uh, came to a climax after uh, diplomatic negotiations uh, failed to get the the hostages released. Uh, President Jimmy Carter 
ordered the U.S. military to attempt a rescue mission, which was called Operation Eagle Claw. They used warships, which included the USS Nimitz and the USS Coral Sea, which were patrolling the waters near Iran. Uh, it was unfortunately a failed attempt in uh, April of 1980. Uh, it resulted in the death of one Iranian civilian and the accidental deaths of eight American servicemen after one of their helicopters actually crashed into a transport aircraft. Uh, the US Secretary of State Cyrus Vance at the time resigned because of that failure. Uh, in September of 1980, the military of Iraq invaded Iran, beginning uh, the Iran and Iraq War. Uh, these events actually led the Iranian government to enter negotiations with the U.S., uh, with Algeria coming in to act as a mediator. Uh, and that was considered a pivotal episode in the uh, relations between Iran and the United States, which if you follow the news, you will, of course, know they are still quite tense today. Uh, and they've been on and off uh, very, very tense over the history of th those two countries' relations. Uh, it was a major factor as well in the downfall of the presidency of Jimmy Carter. He ended up losing the 1980 presidential election in an absolute landslide uh, for, to uh, American President Ronald Reagan. When Reagan was sworn into office, the hostages were actually formally released the day after the signing of the Algiers Accords. Um, in Iran, actually, actually, though, the crisis strengthened the prestige of uh, the, the president at the time uh, and the political power of theocrats who opposed uh, any sort of relations with the West as well. The crisis also led to America putting economic sanctions against Iran, which further weakened those ties between the two countries. And as I mentioned, uh, that continues to be an issue today. Um, but I will just quickly, before we wrap up the show, talk about the, the effort to save those six American diplomats who actually ev evaded capture. Um, as we mentioned, they were actually um, uh, not, not rescued until January 27th, 1980. Um, a year before the rest of the um, the, the rest of the the uh, hostages were released, just under a year, just a week off a, a year, and uh, that was by a joint CIA and Canadian effort to get them out. As we mentioned, they were um, they were given uh, Canadian fake Canadian passports and forged entry documents, and they were actually um, it was called Operation Argo, which is what the the film is named after. They were actually sheltered in the Canadian embassy for some time, but because of the, uh, the their fugitive status, they were they couldn't be sheltered there forever. So um, essentially, what happened was they um, they because they couldn't get in or out without raising suspicion as Americans, they um, they made up this this story that they were filming for a a science fiction film and they actually fabricated this entire science fiction film um to to completely um to to get in without uh raising suspicion and get out with those um uh, with those six americans they actually managed to do that uh if you'd like to know more about that there is the film argo it does contain some elements of fact and some elements of fiction but um it 
it was a it's a fantastic film and it ended up winning um oscars for its its uh, brilliance in fact so that's the last thing that we're going to talk about on uh throwback thursday here uh, of course the iranian hostage crisis uh taking place from november of 1979 to january of 1981 those uh poor hostages taken in um in 1979 and couldn't escape until 1981 except for those six which uh who are featured in the film argo who managed to escape a year earlier you are listening to 106.9 at tune fm that is the end of throwback thursday for this week don't forget to join us next week as we move on to 1982 it's been a pleasure to be with you and i hope you've enjoyed the shows so far stay tuned to 106.9 tune fm plenty more music and great stuff coming up right throughout the night Thank you for listening to Throwback Thursday 1981. Don't forget to join us at the same time next week as we talk about the court case in the High Court of Australia between John Kuwata and Queensland Premier Joe Bielke-Peterson on the 11th of May 1982. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. Stay tuned.